we got a lot to, to cover today. Jesus, we are so thankful that we have an opportunity to come into this space, to come into this place together. And Jesus, we are so grateful and so thankful that uh, you invite us and you welcome us into this place, just like we said today, as we are with all of our mess. Uh, the church is not a place that we have to check our baggage at the door and pretend like we got it all put together. Uh, Jesus, we can be real. Uh, we can be who we are. Uh, and you don't run from that, no matter what. Uh, so Jesus, today I pray that we would get a chance to experience what it looks like to get in the same room with you. Uh, to have you kind of jump into our lives and begin to work things out. To renovate who we are, to restore who we are, to put us back together. Uh, so Jesus, I pray for that. I ask that you would do that today. That, that, there, that there are some of us in the room that that's all we need to do. We need to bump into you and realize that we don't have to look like we've got it all together. We don't have to look like we've got all the answers. We don't have to, to, to do all those kinds of things. We can just come to you with the truth of who we are and you meet us in that space. And we're so grateful for that. Uh, Jesus, I pray as we open your word, uh, that you open our eyes and our ears and soften our hearts to your truth today. Um, and, and, and God, would you, do, would you do in us what only you can do? May we walk out of here different people, not because of songs or stage or lights or a sermon or whatever, but because we spent time with you. Uh, may that be what we're known for. May, may that make a difference in our day and our week and our month and the rest of our lives. Jesus, we love you. We pray all this in your name. Everybody said? All right, I am super, super, super excited to dive in today, but before we do that, let me just do kind of a quick reset, um, because here's the deal, I need us to be all on the same page today as we go forward. Last week, we kicked off this series that we call High Five, and we do this every year, right? We, once a year, we circle back to these things that we have at our church that we call our values and our priorities, right? Now, but here's the deal, our values and priorities exist for both a church and as us, like as people, right? It's, it's for the church, but it's also for us. It is organizational, but it's also personal. And so you may go, well, like, well what are our values and priorities? Like, what, what are those things? Well, let me just kind of do some quick defining, right? Our, our values, we said this last week, are the principles of life and the ways of living that we put the highest price tag on. Essentially, it, it says this. Like, we know that they're significant. We know that they mean, mean a lot. We determine that when it comes to how we live and how we operate, we say this. It's worth it to live this way. It's worth living this way. And, like, here's some examples, right? Maybe some of us, we, we've, we've decided to, like, go on, like, get on, like, get healthy. That's us, right? In my house right now, that's what we're doing. And so we're exercising, we're eating healthy food, those kinds of things. And we would say, it's worth it to live this way. Last night, my wife made, made the really weird decision, right? Now she's trying to take care of other people. But she decided to bake please and thank you cookies in our house. I walked in after mowing the grass, and I'm like, what does that smell? That smells like chocolate. Exactly. Like, what are you doing, right? Like, I don't need that kind of temptation in my life right now, okay? But again, it's, we, I had to stand there and look at a plate of, like, super hot, gooey, nice, awesome, please and thank you cookies and go, no, because it's worth it to live the way that I'm living right now, eating carrots and turkey and chicken, and it's, yeah, it's worth it, right? It's worth it, I promise. Maybe for some of us, it's sobriety, right? That, like, maybe we've wrestled with an addiction. Maybe we've wrestled with some, some, some kind of an addiction, some kind of an attachment to a substance. Uh, and, and, it, and the thing is, it's like what we realize is in sobriety, it's actually worth it to live this way. Why? Because that thing that wants to numb us out, the thing that wants to make us forget about all of our problems and all of our pain, you know what it does? It just prolongs that. Because we wake up the next morning, and now we've got all the problems we had the day before in addition to shame and a hangover. And so sobriety, we look at this and go, you know what? It's worth it for me to say no to this so I can say yes to this. It's worth it. It's worth it for us to say yes to Jesus 
and the way that Jesus wants us to live and no to anything that goes against or is outside of what he says when it comes to life, right? So those are our values. Our values say it's worth it to live this way. Now our priorities, those are the ways that we organize our lives. They help us to determine what's most important, right? We said this last week, our priorities, they decide, they help us decide who or what gets our time, our energy, our effort, our presence, our finances, right? That's how these work. Like we order that everything can't be equally important. That would be chaos. It would drive us crazy. And we know that's true. Like everything wants to be important, but everything can't carry the same level of importance. So we have to use our priorities to kind of sort these things out, to sort life out, so we know who's going to get the most of my time, my energy, my effort, my presence, all of those kinds of things. Now, the next question is this, why do these matter? Like, why do values and priorities matter? Why do we take an entire month out of every year to talk about values and priorities? Here's why. So this last week again, the direction and the course and the destination of our identity and our purpose is driven and defined by our values and priorities. They're that big of a deal. And here's what we talked about. Again, many of us, we found ourselves in these places in life and these moments in life where we find ourselves really far away from the kind of person that we thought we would be. Or we find ourselves in life really far away from where we thought we would be. Kind of when we thought about the glorious five-year plan a few years back, right? We thought, well, this is where I want to be in three to five years, and we're far away from that place. And maybe we wake up that day and we realize that we're far away from who we wanted to be. I'm not the person that I thought I would be. We're far away from the person that we, that we expected to be in life. And here's what happens, right? This is the truth. We didn't plan for that. Like, we didn't, we didn't wake up one day and decide, you know what I want to do? I want to take my life way off track. I want to torpedo my marriage. I want to, to ruin my job. I want to end friendships. I want to end relationships. We, we don't wake up one day and go, you know what I'd like to do? Destroy my life. But without even knowing it, what happens is we get pulled off course by all these things that want to influence us, that pull on us, that push on us, that decide that they can take care of us, that convince us that they can take care of us better than Jesus can. And we end up, here's where we end up. We end up in these how did we get here kind of moments. And so the question we asked last week was this, how do we reset? How do we recalibrate? How do we recenter our lives back on that navigation line that we need to stay on? And the answer, here's the answer, right? Not a trick question, it's our values. Our values and our priorities, they are what we use, right? They're what we use to stay set, calibrated, and centered on living the with God life, both in who we are and in what we do, right? Because this is an identity thing. Right, who I, like, who I am, like, that's going to influence what I do. Everything we do, we say this, our doing comes from our being. Everything we do flows out of who we are. And here's how all of this plays out, all right? As a church and as people, when our values and our priorities are rooted in our identity, who we are, they get put on display in how we live, which is what we do. We said this last week, if, if you want to know somebody's values and priorities, you don't have to ask them. All you have to do is watch their life. Just watch the way they live. And here's the truth. They'll show you. You'll show, you'll show the people that are watching your life, the people that you're watching, they'll show you. You'll get an idea of who they are. People can get an idea of who you are by watching what you do. Because they'll see what's worth it to you in life. What are the things in life that you look at and go, you know what, it's worth it to live this way. 
You'll show people that. You'll broadcast that. You'll show people just through the way that you live, the way that your values and priorities have impacted your identity, right? You'll show people what's important to you. They'll be able to see that. And the same is true for us as a church. People will be able to see our values and priorities based on not just who we are, but what we do. I read this quote this week. It says, if you want to know what a church believes, listen to the type of worship songs that they sing. But if you want to know if they really believe it, listen to how they sing them. You want to know what a church believes? Listen to the worship songs that they sing. But if you want to know how they, if they really believe it, if they really believe it, listen to how they sing them. And it comes down to this. Our values and priorities, what they do is they form impressions. They form impressions on our identity that result in the expressions of our identity, right? They form and they shape and they mold who we are, and that comes through in what we do. And here's the thing, values and priorities, having our values and priorities in the right spot, right? That's the difference between living in integrity or living in hypocrisy. See, as people and as a church, if we don't have anything holding us on course, if we don't have something saying that, hey, look, it's worth it for us to live this way, it's worth it for us to say yes to these things and no to these things, if we don't have something in place to help us decide what's important and what to chase after and what to give ourselves to, then all that's left is fake it until you make it. And so that's why we said this last week, we have to. We have to apply these five values and priorities to both our lives and our church because that's the only way this works. That's the only way this works. And if you don't believe me, check out what, it, what Jesus says in John 13. He says this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Here's why. This has to both be something for us personally, but also something for us as an organization. Like we said last week, Jesus, Jesus' kingdom has values. Right? Jesus talked about this last week. Go back and watch it. Right? Jesus says, listen, like when it comes to the two most important things, it's love God and love people. Right? Those are my values. And Jesus, he's talking about this. It can't just be like Jesus didn't leave his kingdom values in the kingdom and go, well, that's just for this. No, Jesus is like, listen, what's going to make a difference? is you live in the kingdom life, the with God life, with these values of loving God, loving people, and then you actually go do that. Right? You live that out. You express that in a way that people can see it. It's not just an internal thing. It's not just a belief, but it's a belief put in action. I mean, here's the thing. We would say it's worth it. It's worth it to love other people. It's worth it to be a loving person. It's worth it. It's important to believe in loving other people. But how you actually love one another will be the difference between people knowing that you belong to Jesus or not. Right? That's what Jesus says. Right? This value, it has to be personal. Right? It's something that Jesus valued. It has to be something that we value. And it can't just be something that lives like in our heads or on a piece of paper or on a website. It can't just be, it has to be put into action. That's how this works. So that brings us up to value number two. Right? That's what we're going to talk about today. And it's this. We're better together. And if you were here this summer, every summer, every summer we call our summers, we're better together summers, we do lots of really cool and fun stuff together. But this is what this value says, this is what it says, God never intended, us, intended for us to do life alone. And here's the truth, people are designed and created to partner together. And really what this value speaks to and what this value is all about is authentic community. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about today. 
we're better together. What that's rooted in is being an authentic community. Now, here's the deal. Here's how I want to tackle this today. I thought long and hard about this this week because I got like so much to say that we can say. And I'm like, I've got to organize my thoughts, right? So here's how I want to tackle this. This is the ride that we're going to go on. First thing I want to do is, is I want to unpack the truth and what the truth says because this whole like we're better together and like what that value says, that's not something we made up. Like, we didn't go, ooh, that sounds kind of catchy. That sounds kind of cool. That'll look good on, on a handout that we hand to somebody, or that'll look good on a website somewhere. Remember what we said last week. Our first value and priority is this. We live the way, which is all about biblical authority. Right? We say here that the, the Bible, it speaks, it has authority. We want to live the way of life that Jesus lines out in the Bible, so we put the Bible and its authority on top, right? And every value and priority that we have comes out of that. We're going to teach, we're going to preach, we're not going to make up our own truth. We're going to teach what it says in the Bible. So every single value and priority is found in there. So when we say we're better together, when we say that God never intended for us to do life alone, that's a core truth that we find in Scripture. And so what I want to do first is kind of unpack the truth around how God designed us and created us. But then what I want to do is I want to unpack what it means to be an authentic community. Like what does that really mean? What does it look like? What does it look like for adventure to be a place that lives this out? Because here's the deal. If you're anything like me, when you hear a pa- like a preacher or a pastor talk about authentic community, you're like, yeah, I've been there, done that, still have the scars to prove it. Like, I've heard people preach on this before. I've heard people say all the nice and, and flowery things about this. These are, these are what we, but here's the deal. I've got, I still have the wound in my back from where I trusted an authentic community, and I got stabbed in the back. There's, here's the truth, right? When you hear authentic community, there's this tension between ideal and real. And you, you think to our, you, we think to ourselves, I don't, I don't know if authenticity is even really possible. And if I'm being really honest, I don't know if being real and true and authentic is even safe. But we're going to get to that spot in a minute, right? For now, grab your Bibles, open up to Genesis. We're going back to the beginning, right? We're going to start in Genesis, and we're going to go pretty fast, right? I'm going to go fast, so hang on tight. Here we go. One sec. Fed solo cup. Here we go. It is. It's just water, I promise. Um, it says this, Genesis 2, starting in verse 15. It says, the Lord took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to, to work it and to take care of it. And it says this, that, that, that the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you'll die. We know how that goes, right? And God said this, he looks, at, he looks at man, he looks at Adam, and he says, you know what, it's, it's, it's not good. It's not good for the man to be alone. What I need to do is I, I'll make a suitable helper for him. And here's just some background of kind of what's happening in this, in this moment, which is pretty cool. I'll be honest with you. I would love to have been present in this moment to kind of see what it was like. Because, you know, God creates all the animals and he creates the earth. He creates the mountains. He creates the oceans. He creates the fields, the flowers, everything. He creates the earth. He creates all the animals. And then once he, what he does is he brings all the animals to the man so that he can name them, which would just be awesome to watch Adam try to come up with what he's going to name certain things. And again, what, what God finds is after the man is named, after Adam has named all these animals, he's seen all these animals, it's like, you know what, these animals, as cool as they are, they, they're, not a, they're, they're not a suitable helper for Adam. 
So here's the thing. We preached this before. This, this, this may not be the first time you're hearing this, but if this is, in this creation narrative, here's what it looks like, okay? Genesis 1 gives us this quick flyby, and then Genesis 2 and 3 go into more detail on what Genesis 1 says. So Genesis 1 tells us all this stuff about, you know, God, bring a God, God creating things, and then God bringing all these animals and all this kind of stuff. But here's the thing. It goes into a lot of detail when it comes to people. But there's something that happens in Genesis 1 when God's creating everything. At the end of the day, he steps back and he looks at everything that is created and he says two words. What? Or three words. It is good. Right? If you've ever heard the story, it's good. Which isn't God patting himself on the back. Right? It's not God going like, hey, buddy, you crushed it today. Right? Day two, big day, separating dark and light. Like, that's a big day. And the mountains are like, God's going like, he's not stepping back just patting himself on the back. Here's what it means when he says it's good. It means this, it is as it's supposed to be. Or this is exactly what I intended. This worked out, right? Or this, it works like it's supposed to work. This whole stuff, this whole, all of creation works like it's supposed to work. So in Genesis 2, when it dives into a little bit more detail about all that's going on in creation, especially the detail around people, when God sees the man, he sees that Adam, even though he's got all this garden, he's got all these animals that he just named and all this kind of stuff, God says what? It's not good. It's not good for the man to be alone. Which we now know means this. It's not how it's supposed to be. This isn't how it's supposed to be. This is not what I intended. This doesn't work like it's supposed to. So what does God do? The Bible tells us that God makes a suitable helper for Adam. Now, quick rabbit trail. Because here's the deal. In the church, in the past, I've heard this happen before, right? I've seen this. I've watched this. That word helper sometimes gets weaponized. In the church, as it relates to kind of the roles of men and women. Here's what it doesn't mean, guys. It doesn't mean that God was creating somebody for Adam to wait on him, clean up his messes, fix his food, and live to please his every need, right? That's not what it means. That's not what helper means. The word helper in Genesis actually means advocate. And if you look at the definition of an advocate, it means this. It means one who pleads the case of another, Right? And here's the thing. It's the same word that Jesus used to describe the role and the actions of the Holy Spirit in our life. Right? So what a helper is, is someone who supports the cause with you. It's someone who shares the dream, who shares the vision, who shares the goal with you, and you work together to chase after it. So here's how we can look at what, what the Bible says. God says this. It's not good for people to be alone and in order for this to work like it's supposed to, what, what do people, people need suitable advocates. They need suitable advocates. And you know what can't do it? An animal. So somebody's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm fine in life. I got my dog. God's going, nah, that's not how it's supposed to work. Dog's man's best friend. I get it. It's not nature. It's not, it's not the sunrise. It's not the ocean. It's not the mountains. It's not your car. It's not your stuff. That's not a suitable advocate for you. God says the only suitable advocate for, for people are other people. And it says this in Genesis 2.21. It says, so the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took out one of the, man ribs, and then he, one of the man's ribs and he closed it up, the place with flesh. And it says that the Lord God made woman from the rib that he had taken out of man. And he brought her to the man. And then the cool thing is this, this like, the, the narrative kind of switches from, like, narrative to poetry, which means this, Adam, as soon as he saw Eve, started singing, like, whoa. He says this, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, whoa, man. That's how I imagine it. For she was taken out of man. Because I think Adam was just smitten, right, in that moment. Like, this is awesome. 
and says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. They become one flesh, right? It's not 1A, 1B flesh, one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Suitable advocate. Someone to plead his case. Someone to, to, to share the vision, to share the goal, to work together. And here's the thing. If you jump back to kind of this moment in Genesis 1, here's what it says in verse 31. After God steps back and sees the man is now no longer alone but has woman by his side, right? It says this. God saw all that he made and it was very good, which means this. It really works. This really works like it's supposed to. It says there was evening and there was morning and that was the sixth day. This is the only time. This is the only time in all of creation, in the six days of creation, this is the only time that God steps back and looks at his creation and says, it's very good. This really works. And that only happened after the man was no longer alone. It really worked once the man had an advocate, right, the woman that God made for him. They were made for each other. And that's how God designed us. We are made for one another. We are made to be advocates for one another, to plead each other's case, to share the vision, to share the goal, to share the dream, to work at it together. We're better together. That's why we say, that's why our value says we are better together. Trying to go through life isolated is not how God created us to live. And here's the thing. There are countless other examples in Scripture. There are countless other examples in the Bible of why this is true. But this one goes all the way back to the beginning. Right? Those other examples, they're all true. They're all good. This one shows God's intent. Right? God's intent in creation was for us to be advocates for one another. We were not designed. It is not good. It does not work for us to do life by ourselves. Now, here's the thing. I read an article this week that said this, that, that self-worship is, in addition to being the world's oldest, it's also the world's fastest growing religion. It's been around forever. It's been around for a really long time. Ever since, really, the serpent, right, Satan, the enemy, looked at Eve and goes, you can do better than this. Right? It's been around for a really long time. But right now, they're actually starting to kind of chart it. They're actually starting to chart it, and here's what helps them chart it, social media. Because social media is only focused on who? Me. You. Us. So here's the thing, this, this article that I read said this, that there, there are actually now six commandments of the religion of self. And the first one says this, your mind is the source and standard of truth. Trust yourself. And I think you'll find as you read through these, all of these, like Jesus goes, uh, no, right? Jesus would say, no, no I, I, like, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Not like my truth, my way. That's the way to life. But number one is you're the, you're the source. You are the source and the standard of truth. Trust yourself. The second one says your, your emotions, your feelings are authoritative. They're in charge. They're, they're right. So never or let anyone else ever question your feelings. Again, Jesus would go, it's, it's, actually, it's actually faith over feelings. It's actually I don't, I don't change even when your circumstances do. Like the song we sing, that, that, you know, that, that way maker, like even when I don't feel it, you're working. Number three, you are sovereign. Flex your power and bend the universe to your own dreams and desires. Wasn't that long ago we taught in Romans on what it means to be sovereign. Guess who's not sovereign? You. 
Guess who is? God. The religion itself says, no, it's you. So you flex your power. You bend the universe to your own dreams and your own desires. All I've got to say is good luck with that. Number four, it says this, you're supreme. You are supreme. So act always according to your chief end and glorify and enjoy yourself forever. You think maybe God's going, I, I, I got some issues with this one, right? Number five, you're the standard of goodness. So don't let anyone oppress you with the notion that you need grace. You're good. You're good. You don't need grace. You don't, you don't need to ask. You don't need forgiveness. You don't need, you don't need that. You're good. And then number six, you're the creator. So use your creative power to craft your own identity and purpose. Again, I, I tell you, social media drives a lot of this. And I have to use it. It's one of those things I wish I didn't have to. Like, one, because I don't really know how, right? And my, like, most of the time my 10-year-old has to go, this is how you do it, Dad, right? But here's the thing. It's like, I, I wish I didn't have to use Because here's, like, even, even now, like, people who use social media, what are they, they're referred to as creators, you're creating, you're creating content, you're creating this universe, you're, you're creating your image, you're creating who you want people to think you are. Use your creative power to craft your own identity and your own purpose. If we're being honest, here's the thing, we read the six of these, again, I had to read these a couple of times, because there's a part of this that sounds good. There's a part of this we go, ooh, like I, I would like, I would like to be sovereign, I would like that. I would like for things to be my way. And, and, and that's it. Like that things work out the way I want them to. And if they're not working out the way I want them to, I want to be sovereign so I can say, this is the way it works. And everybody says, you're right. I would love for that to be the case. I would love to be the standard of truth. That I can th say whatever I want that, that I believe in, that's truth. That's true. That's right. I would love to be the standard of goodness because then I would never make a mistake. It all sounds good. But here's the deal, church, this isn't a coincidence. If you use the, a, a line graph, the line graph, and I read this in this article, there's a line graph that kind of charts the rise of self-worship, especially in westernized countries. If you look at that line graph, it lines up almost identically to the rise of depression, the feelings of isolation, the scourge of humanity that is anxiety, loneliness, and suicide. Lines up almost perfectly they're on the same trajectory here's why we're not meant to live life alone we're not meant to live life alone that's too much responsibility for us as much as we'd like to have it we weren't created to have sovereignty we weren't created to be creators we weren't created to, to like we weren't created to be the one the supreme we weren't god gave us things that reflect who he is God gave us power. He gave us creativity. He, he gave us influence. In fact, God looked at people and said, listen, this is your garden. Work it, right? Have dominion over it. But still, we operate under him. And we operate together. And I think it's interesting, right? I think it's interesting that, that with the rise of depression and anxiety and suicide, loneliness, all that kind of stuff, it follows this trajectory. Because, you know, in 1 Peter, Peter describes our enemy, the devil, is prowling, prowling around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. I spent some time in Africa when I was in college, and I got to learn a little bit about how lions hunt. Lions, they're, they're, they're pack hunters. They, they work together. And here's what they do. They divide herds. 
They'll go into a herd of antelope or whatever, or zebra, whatever. They'll divide the herd, make it a little bit smaller. And then they'll do it again. They'll divide the herd, make it a little bit smaller. They'll take that small, divide it again, and divide it again until they get one animal off by itself. And that's when they go in for the kill. Peter wasn't lying when he says that our enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. He, wasn't, he was telling the truth because that's what Satan does. He says, you know what? I want you to buy into this. I want you to believe this. I want you to chase after this because here's the thing. I want to get you alone. Because once I get you alone, that's when I go in for the kill. Now I've got you right where I want you. Just separate you a little bit from the herd. And a little bit more. And a little bit more. And a little bit more. And now I got you. But let's be real, right? Let's be honest. When it comes to this kind of isolationist lifestyle, it's not just the tug of culture. Right? It's not just the, re- the rise of the religion of self-worship that isolates us. It's, it's fear, isn't it? Right? Isn't it really when it comes down? It's fear. Fear for a lot of us is the reason that we choose to be alone. Because here's the deal. Somebody in the church might discover who I really am. It's the fear that, that somebody maybe in, in community might find out the story about your past. It's the fear that, that if people really saw what goes on inside of your house, they really saw what your marriage was like, they really saw the way you treated your kids, they really saw all those kinds of things, right? If they really saw what went on in your house, it's the fear that, that maybe somebody might find out the, the kinds of things that I struggle with. And here's the thing, if anybody finds out any of this stuff, there is absolutely no way that I'm going to be accepted in a place that talks about Jesus. There's no way I'm going to be accepted in in a church. So it's not just the the six commandments of self-worship, right? It's fear. Fear that I'm going to be found out. So what happens? I live an isolated life. So there's more than one way to live an isolated life. When we carry around the stuff, right, the secret shame, when we stuff stuff down, when we try to, to keep those things hidden, when we hide the regrets, when we, when we deny and we pretend the wounds that we're carrying around aren't really there and they don't hurt, the fact is this, we can be in a crowded room and still feel completely and utterly alone. You ever been there? Sitting around in a room with my small group. Sitting at, at a table with, with some men in the church, whatever it is, some friends from church. You're sitting around a table, everybody's having conversations, everybody's talking, everybody's laughing, everybody's having a good time, we're sharing truth, all that kind of stuff. But you know what? The truth is, you feel alone. See, this is that tension that I was talking about that exists, that, that tension between ideal and real. Because ideally, we would love to think that we're really better together. And what better together means is that it's safe to come out of hiding But really, what we believe to be real is that it's not. Ideally, that would be the case. But what's real is that it's not. And see, this is what this value is really all about. And I want to make sure that we drill into this, right? This value is not just about teaming up and working together in life, right? It it includes that. It is about teaming up. It is about the fact that we can do more together than we can by ourselves. But here's what this value says. It's worth way more to be honest and transparent and real than it is to put on a show. That's what this value says. It's got to be personal. It's not just organizational. But for us, when we think about being better together in authentic community, it means this, that it's worth more 
to be honest and transparent and real than it is to put on a show. The, the priority piece of this says it's more important to stop hiding, repressing, and denying what's really going on in my life and tell the truth. That sounds crazy. And it seems scary, but here's the thing. Real, authentic community is so worth it, and it's vitally important because, let me just ask this question, hypothetical. What if the church, what if this church was a place where you could really and truly come as you are? And you knew that. What if your small group was a place where you could share that thing that maybe anywhere else in your life, it might ruin you, but not in there? What if that were the case? See, and here's the thing, like last week, I can sit here and I can give you all the facts and I can point to all the examples, you know, that you, that here's the thing, like here's, you can handle all those things, like that's all, that's all fine and good, but here's the thing, facts don't always help to overcome fear. I could stand up here and I could make you promises as the lead pastor of this church that you don't have to hide in this place, but the truth is, you probably heard that before. And you found out really quickly that that's an empty promise. And so what I want to do to kind of wrap up today is, is I want to see authentic community through the lens of people like us. All right, these are people like you and I who they got to a point in their life when they realized it's got to be better than this. Are there risks involved? Right? Could, could this blow up? Are, are we sure of how it's going to work out? No. But it's, it's got to be better than this. Anything is better than this. This happens in Luke 5. you got your Bibles open. Flip back to Luke 5, starting at verse 18. This is not really that much longer after the moment we talked about last week, right? Jesus, after he called these disciples that we talked about last week, he's teaching in a house near the Sea of Galilee. And it says this. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And they tried to take him into home to lay him before Jesus. But it was crowded, right? It says this, that when, when they couldn't find a way because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Now, time out. Just press pause. There's some, certain stories in the Bible that we just go, uh-huh, yep. But when you try to imagine what it would have looked like, it just takes on a whole different context. I mean, can you imagine this? First off, not a real easy task to, to, to drag your paralyzed friend on a stretcher up to the top of a roof of a house. But they figured it out. They, they had to figure out how to get their friend up there. They got their friend up there. The second thing is, when we think of roof, we think like shingle roof, like what we have. Roofs on houses back in this day were sometimes four to six feet thick. And they had rocks and dirt and all this kind of stuff. They had to dig through that, which means Jesus teaching in the middle of the room, all of a sudden you hear this commotion up on the roof. Like stuff starts falling down through the ceiling. Then all of a sudden like a hole opens up. And then the other thing, they had to lower their friend down on the mat without dropping him. Can you imagine that? Like, it was like, whoops, like, thud. They had to get him down to Jesus without just, like, dropping him down there. And you have to imagine Jesus preaching whatever he's preaching, teaching whatever he's preaching. This hole opens up. All of a sudden, there's this dude being lowered down right in front of your face. Looks up. And my guess is sees four or five sets of eyes kind of peering over the hole that they just made. Wondering what's going to happen next. And Luke tells us when Jesus saw their faith, he said, looks at the man who's paralyzed on the mat. Number one, don't ignore this. He calls him friend. He says, friend. 
And Jesus doesn't waste words. He calls him friend on purpose. He says, friend, your, your, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, says, began thinking to themselves, well, who's this guy that speaks blasphemy? Like, who can forgive sins but God alone? And this is like one of Jesus's, like, you just got dunked on moments. Like, one of the biggest ones, I feel like, in the Gospels. It's pretty amazing. It says this, Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, why are you thinking these things with your hearts? What's easier to say, guys, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? He says, but I, I want to show you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he says to the paralyzed man, all right. Take up your mat and go home. I mean, mic drop. Think about it. I mean, think about this. In this moment, like, the, the Pharisees, the teachers are all going, wait, who's this guy? I think he can forgive sins. And Jesus is like, what do you think is easier, for me to forgive this guy's sins or for him to get up and walk? How about both? <laughs> right? There's part of me that kind of wonders if Jesus went, you know, like one of those, one of those. How about both, guys? So he tells, he looks at the guy and says, I'll tell you, take up your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them and he took what he'd been lying on and he went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and they said, we've seen remarkable things today. You think? I mean, we'd say, we would say, we've seen remarkable things if somebody cut a hole in the roof and lowered someone down. Like, guess what I saw today? But it goes further than that. This guy was forgiven. And then he got up and walked. Do you want to know what authentic community looks like? Like this. You know what it looks like to be better together like this? Here's what we're better together and authentic community is really all about. It's about a group of people who stopped at nothing to get their friend who was sick and hurting in the same room with Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's what we're better together is all about. That's what this authentic community is all about. Because like we said last week, even with the uncertainty, they didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know what Jesus was going to do. They didn't know how they're going to get him. They, they're figuring out as they go, right? We don't know what Jesus is going to say. But here's the thing. Taking this chance, seeking Jesus, getting our friend in the same room with Jesus, it has to be better than this. And there are three things I want you to notice. Number one, Jesus, he saw the faith of the paralyzed man's friend, his community, his friends. He saw their faith. He saw those four or five sets of eyes kind of peering over the hole going, oh, gosh. He saw, their, he saw their faith, and that's what moved Jesus to act. Do you know what they didn't do? You know what his friends and his community didn't do? They didn't write their friend off as a lost cause. They didn't write their paralyzed friend. They didn't blow him off. They didn't, they didn't leave him behind. Say, hey, Jesus is coming today. We're going to go see him. Sorry about your luck. They didn't give up on him. They got him to Jesus. He said, we've got to get our friend with Jesus so that's the first thing. The second thing is this. Jesus didn't look at the paralyzed man and say, I don't know, what, what, do, you want me, what do you want me to do with this? Like, Jesus didn't look at this and go like, he wasn't, law, he wasn't at a loss. Jesus didn't look at it. What do you guys expect? What do you want? Like, I don't know what to do. That, what, I don't know what to do here. And here's the truth. Whether we're the ones trying to take our friends to Jesus or we are the ones being taken to Jesus, Jesus will not be at a loss when it comes to what to do. In your life. And the third thing is this. Jesus, he healed the disease of the soul, sin, before he healed the disease of the body. Their friend was made whole spiritually and eternally before he was made whole physically. And that's what matters the most. 
that's what matters the most. Like Yumiko just said, we, we prayed. We joined them in prayer to pray for her father who accepted Jesus just before he died. Jesus healed her father spiritually and eternally and welcomed him home. And here's, I know what you're probably thinking. Yeah, Brad, here's the thing. This guy was paralyzed. He couldn't hide it. Everybody could see it. Everybody knew about it. And you're right. That's the truth. But here's what I want us to know. And me too, okay? Every single one of us in this place has some part of us that's laying on the mat or has at some point in our lives or will at some point in our lives. And maybe even it's you right now and you're sick. And you know you're sick. There's this saying that says this, you're only as sick as your secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets. And for some of us, we're sick because we got a lot. We have a lot of secrets. And here's the thing, it may not show up physically, but there's some part of our mind, there's some part of our heart, there's some part of our soul that's paralyzed and it's crushed by the weight of what we're carrying and we can't move. And like many people probably felt about the man in this story, it feels impossible to overcome. And the worst part is this, nobody knows. The worst part isn't just that you're suffering. The worst part isn't just that you have secrets. The worst part is nobody knows. And you're alone. That's the worst part. You're alone. Because you've hidden it. And you've kept it hidden. But what if it didn't have to be that way? And here's the thing. I'm not saying that you got to cut holes in the roof, right? Please don't cut a hole in the roof of our church. Please don't cut a hole in the roof of, like, your small group or your home group. But here's the thing. What if you knew in this place I don't have to hide? I don't have to hide from Jesus. I don't have to try to stuff stuff my hurt or my struggles. I don't have to stuff those things down with this community in this place. And here's the thing. We have scripture. We don't have to question, doubt, or wonder what Jesus is going to say to us or what he's going to do with us. And we don't have to doubt or wonder or question or be afraid of what Jesus' people will do, right? We'll do whatever it takes. We will do whatever it takes to get you in the same room with him. So whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're going through, taking a chance on Jesus has to be better than this. And it might mean this, that you have to take a chance on one of his people and you have to share what's going on in your life. You have to be authentic for once. And here's the thing, if you're, if you're the friend of someone whose life is just on the mat, maybe you need to take the chance and get them in the same room with Jesus. It's, work, it's worth the risk because here's the thing, it has to be better than that. And church, that's who we are. We say it's worth it. It's worth it to take the risk and be truly authentic but not give up on each other. It's important to us to be real and honest and get each other in the same room with Jesus because we're better together. This is an authentic community. And instead of the fear of being found out, this church is full of people that will carry each other into the same room with Jesus and then walk out with one another.
The crazy thing is this. If you read the book of Acts, the book of Acts is 30 plus years of church history. And it's story after story after story of some of the most broken, twisted, corrupt, sexually deviant, spiritually twisted people. And all of them come to know Jesus. And it's because that church, that group of people believed that Jesus said, anyone can come. They believed that. They believed that Jesus said, anybody, all nations, everyone, from one end of the earth to the other, everyone, anyone can come. That's the truth today, church. We have to reclaim that. Like I said last week, you know who's not surprised or scared or worried about 2022? Jesus. He knows what's going on. And this church was Jesus' idea. It wasn't my idea. It wasn't the people that started it. It They share the dream. We share the dream. We share the goal with Jesus. It's our time. It's our time. We can't be a church that just bunkers down anymore. We can't be a church that just is, is, is content with coming for an hour on a Sunday or, or maybe a couple hours on a Sunday or, or hanging out in community one, one other night a week. It's, we can't be content with that anymore. It's time for us to begin to live out these values and priorities. To get people in the same room with Jesus, even if that person is you. To finally look at a friend and say, you know what? I would love to be able to climb up on the roof, but I can't. I am paralyzed by the junk in my life that I've been carrying for far too long, and here it is. That's who we are. And here's what I know. I haven't always done a great job of that. Personally, whether it's sharing or whether it's, or whether it's helping someone that's hurting. Because of Jesus, today can be a day that's different. And maybe you're in that same boat. You know, I've, I've not always been really good at that. I've not always been good at, at, at asking for help or then turning around and helping. I've not, oh, it's always been easier just to go like, yeah, yeah, I'll pray for you, thanks. Today's the day we can do it different. Today is the day that it all can change. Here's what, here's what we're going to do. I'm, I'm going to pray and we're going to worship. If you need prayer today, if this is the space that you're in, of going, you know what, I'm, I need somebody to drop me through the roof. I need somebody to get me in the same room with Jesus. We would love to do that. I'll be here on this side. Nick will be over here on that side. Justin's in the back. If you need prayer today, we would love to pray with you. If today you want to you say yes to Jesus, maybe for the first time, we would love to help you with that. If you want to be a part of this authentic community, You want to join this place. You want to be a part of what we're doing here. I'd love to chat with you about that. We're going to pray. We're going to worship. Jesus, you're good. We love you. We want to step, Father, more into this authentic place. It doesn't come overnight. And Father, the truth of the matter is, sometimes we don't, we don't talk about the miracles that take 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years. We don't talk about those. We read stories like this about when a man was lowered in front of you and then that same day got up and walked out. For some of us, God, it's like that's a miracle, but for some of us, Father, the miracle is no different. It may just take longer. It may be a, it may be a, a 10-year miracle. It may be a six-month miracle. But when it comes to being in your presence, nothing's off the table.
You can do anything you want. And so because of that, we have no reason to hide. We know what you want for us, and that's good. We know how you feel about us. You love us. So, Father, may today be the day that we get to come out of hiding. And maybe that's just to you. Maybe that's to a friend. But may we find in those moments, Father, that you you heal us spiritually, eternally. And you're also capable of healing us physically. We believe that you're good. We love you. It's your name we pray.